Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. The question is this, who wrote the Bible, and where did it come from? This is uh, this is a large question. We, we could spend a long time uh, answering this question for sure, but here's here's an answer that I think you'll find helpful. Scripture is a biblical term that refers to the written revelation of God, that is, the books in the Old and the New Testament. The word scripture is an English translation of the Greek word graphe. It means writings. The New Testament uh, applies the term to the entire canon, sometimes to the Old Testament canon, sometimes to a particular uh, passage from the Old Testament, sometimes to the body of writings from a particular inspired author. And the word scripture, it's a basic way to say that the inspired authors of the New Testament speak about the written revelation of God in both Testaments, the Old and the New. In the New Testament, this word refers to the sacred writings that were breathed out by God through the prophets and the apostles that he entrusted to the church. The Westminster Confession of Faith summarizes the content of Holy Scripture when it says this, Under the name of the Holy Scripture or the Word of God written are now contained all the books of the Old and the New Testament. And so the confession then proceeds to list the 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Since the Reformation, Protestants have accepted these books and only these books as inspired revelation from God. Other ancient writings from the same period during which Scripture was written, such as the books of the Apocrypha, may have historical value, but they cannot be used to establish doctrine or settle theology matters. The majority of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the language of the Old Covenant people of God. A small portion of it was written in Aramaic, the common language of the Jews, when in exile in Babylon and in Israel during the time of Christ. The New Testament was written in Greek, the common language of the Roman Empire during the Apostolic Age. In the patriarchal era, God began revealing himself and his will through dreams, through visions, through prophecy. And so he raised up prophets through whom he mediated his revelation uh, to Enoch, to Noah, to Abraham. These prophets, though, were distinct from those who belonged to the prophetic order in Israel that began with Moses. All that God has revealed to them was passed down by way of oral tradition. Theologians refer to this single revelation as the Prisca Theologica, the primitive theology. Dr. R.C. Sproul explained this when he wrote that the original program and prescription for the worship of the living God was sacrifice. Adam told it to Cain, Abel, and Seth. Seth told it to Enoch, and he told his sons, and they told their sons, and so on and so forth, R.C. says. R.C. continues saying, it was taught to Abraham, it was taught to Isaac, it was taught to Jacob, it was taught to Joseph, it was taught to Moses, it was taught to Ishmael, it was taught to Esau, 
And so the idea of the requirement of sacrifice and faith pervaded the whole human race, R.C. says. Now, the first form of written revelation explicitly mentioned in the Old Testament was the divine writing of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 7.14. God then instructed Moses to write down the laws that he revealed in the Mosaic Covenant at Sinai in Exodus 34.27. Jesus and the apostles specify that Moses wrote the majority of the Pentateuch in uh, or the Torah, the books of the law, in Matthew 8, 4, and throughout the Gospels and the Epistles. Though God instructed Moses to codify his revelation, the book of Job might be the oldest uh, inspired text of Scripture. It was possibly written in whole or even in part during the time of Abraham and the other patriarchs of Israel. The tribal non-clementers connected to Job's friends reveal that they descended from those who were alive at the time of Abraham. And the progress of written revelation in the Old Testament is structured by God's covenantal arrangement with key figures, such as Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. It is comprised of historical wisdom and even prophetic literature. In ancient Judaism, the 39 books of the Old Testament were often organized into the threefold division of the Torah, that is, the law, the prophets, and the writings. This Hebrew canon is identical to the Protestant canon in terms of the books included, but it has 24 books because the Jews commonly counted each of the following groups of the books as one book each. First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra through Nehemiah, and the Twelve Minor Prophets. And so this threefold division was widely accepted by the Jews of Jesus' day. Now, in the Gospels, Jesus refers to uh, uh, the Old Testament canon as the Scriptures. He spoke of Isaiah 61, 1 through 2 as Scripture when preaching in the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke 4, 21. And he spoke of Isaiah 53, 12 as Scripture in Luke 22, 37. And so Luke refers to the Old Testament canon as Scripture when noting that Jesus, in his post-resurrection appearance on the road to Emmaus, interpreted all the Scripture the things about himself in Luke 24, 27 and Luke 24, 32. And so Jesus applied uh, this a threefold division when he taught his disciples everything about himself in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms in Luke 24, 44. Luke referred to this corpus as scripture in Luke 24, 45. In all his disputes with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the priests, there is no debate over which books were inspired scripture. The apostles used the word scripture when speaking of the inspired canon of the Old Testament. The most familiar passages in which God's inspired written revelation is referred to as Scripture is 2 Timothy 3.16, where the apostle says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul speaks of Deuteronomy 25.4 as Scripture in 1 Timothy 5.18. And the apostles also referred to each other's writings as Scripture. The Apostle Peter acknowledged that Paul was writing Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he put his letters in the same category as other Scripture in 2 Peter 3, 15-16, a reference to the Old Testament canonical writings. 
the 27 books of the New Covenant Scriptures, classified as Gospels, Acts, Epistles, and Revelation, are Scripture given by the inspiration of God in the same sense as the Old Testament Scripture. The 66 books of the Old and the New Testament are connected by the single unified message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for the salvation of sinners. And so every part of Scripture, whether poetry or a historical narrative, wisdom maxims or prophetic utterances, law or gospel are given by God to lead his people to see their need for the Logos, the living word of Jesus Christ. Now, when approaching the subject of the usefulness of Scripture, Protestant and Reformed theologians have emphasized the significance of the attribute of Scripture, namely its authority, its necessity, its sufficiency, its perspicuity. These attributes are drawn from the self-authenticating Scriptures themselves, since they are the only inerrant and infallible rule of faith and practice for believers. And in this way, Scripture was foundational to the Protestant Reformation, uh, in, in, and this is in uh, direct opposition to the place of Scripture in Roman Catholicism. Rome added the apocryphal writings to the Old Testament, including uninspired writings in the canon of Scripture. Rome undermined the authority, the sufficiency, and even the perspicuity of Scripture by making tradition and the magisterium divine authorities equivalent to or even in practice superior to the Old and New Testaments. Rome's rationale for the inclusion of the Apocrypha rests on the fact that numerous early church fathers used the word scripture when referring to those books. And yet, as William Henry Green noted, the fathers in giving such titles to these books may have meant no more than to designate them as belonging to the category of sacred in contrast with profane literature or books upon sacred subjects, he says. And he continues, it was to be expected that they would, in consequence, be regarded with a respect and a veneration which was not felt for other human productions. In other words, the earliest Christians, they respected the Apocrypha much as, as we would respect modern devotional writings and writings from well-regarded theologians. But the early church did not treat them as inspired scripture for having the final word in making doctrinal assessments. And so Green's assessment, it harmonizes with the 39 articles of the Church of England says about the apocryphal books when they write this. The other books the church does read, for example, of life and instruction of manners, but yet does not apply them to establish any doctrine. And stronger still is the Westminster Confession of Faith regarding non, the non-inspiration of the Apocrypha in the Westminster Confession of Faith 1.3 that says, The books commonly called Apocrypha not being of divine inspiration are no part of the canon of Scripture and therefore are of no authority in the Church of God, nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of than other human writings." Now, Dr. Stephen Nichols writes this, The Reformation plank of Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, is actually constructed of the four key words describing Scripture. Because it is authoritative, necessary, clear, and sufficient, Scripture is our ultimate standard in matters of faith. Consequently, Scripture must be preached, read, studied, and published abroad. The Reformation was built on the sure foundation of God's Word. Dr. R.C. Sproul says this, 
who is it to decide what part of the Bible really belongs to the canon? Once we remove ourselves from a view of tota scriptura, we are free then to pick and to choose what portions of scripture are normative for Christian faith and life. Just like picking cherries, he says, from a tree. And to do this, we would have to revisit the teachings of Jesus, wherein he said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We would have to change it to have our Lord say that we do not live by bread alone, but by some of the words that come to us from God. And in this case, the Bible is reduced to the status where the whole is less than the sum of its parts. This is an issue that the church has to face in every generation, and it has reappeared today in some of the most surprising places. We're finding in seminaries that call themselves Reformed professors advocating this type of canon within the canon. The church must say an empathetic no to these departures from Orthodox Christianity, and she must reaffirm her faith not only in Sola Scriptura, but in Tota Scriptura. Well, friends, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.